Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Friday, November 12th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, beware a watering hole zero-day attack that affected Mac OS. Spotify is getting into the audiobook game. MoviePass looks like it might be coming back from the dead. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Heads up, everybody. Google researchers found a watering hole attack back in August that was exploiting a macOS zero day, and it seemed to be targeting Hong Kong pro-democracy sites. Apple patched this on September 23rd, but still, quote, On Thursday, Google's threat analysis group, known as TAG, the company's elite team of hacker hunters, published a report detailing the hacking campaign. The researchers didn't go as far as pointing the finger at a specific hacking group or country, but they said it was, quote, a well-resourced group, likely state-backed, end quote. We do not have enough technical evidence to provide attribution, and we do not speculate about attribution, the head of TAG, Shane Huntley, told Motherboard in an email. However, the nature of the activity and targeting is consistent with a government-backed actor, end quote. Erie Hernandez, the Google researcher who found the hacking campaign and authored the report, wrote that TAG discovered the campaign in late August of this year. The hackers had set up a watering hole attack, meaning they hid malware within the legitimate websites of, quote, a media outlet and a prominent pro-democracy labor and political group in Hong Kong. Users who visited those websites would get hacked with an unknown vulnerability, in other words, a zero-day, and another exploit that took advantage of a previously patched vulnerability for macOS that was used to install a backdoor on their computers, according to Hernandez. Apple patched the zero-day used in the campaign in an update pushed out on September 23rd, according to the report. Google's researchers were able to trigger the exploits and study them by visiting the websites compromised by the hackers. The sites served both iOS and macOS exploit chains, but the researchers were only able to retrieve the macOS one. The zero-day exploit was similar to another in-the-wild vulnerability analyzed by another Google researcher in the past, according to the report. In addition, the zero-day exploit used in this hacking campaign is identical to an exploit previously found by cybersecurity research group Pangu Lab, Huntley said. Pangu Lab's researchers presented the exploit at a security conference in China in April of this year, a few months before hackers used it against Hong Kong users, end quote. The value harvesting of content, the rights to content on social media, is growing into an interesting space to me. Amazon has announced it will let Prime users on iOS share video clips of up to 30 seconds long for some of its streaming content. Quoting The Verge, According to Amazon's press release, its video sharing feature will be available on iOS devices. When you're watching a show, the Share Clip button will show up alongside the rest of your controls. Tapping it will create a 30-second video clip, which you can then fine-tune to make sure it contains the part of the show you're trying to share. From there, you can share it using Apple's built-in sharing feature, sending it to a friend over iMessage, or posting it on social media. When asked about whether the feature will be available on Android, an Amazon spokesperson told The Verge that clip share is currently only available to iPhone users with version 8.41 or later of the Prime Video app. 
It seems like an obvious feature for any streaming service to add. People genuinely like sharing clips from the shows they're watching, and them doing so is basically free marketing for that show. However, Amazon's competitors like Hulu and Netflix go in pretty much the exact opposite direction. When you take a screenshot while watching one of their shows, the video content just ends up blacked out, leaving you with just the subtitles if you have them turned on. While this is perhaps an understandable tactic for third-party content, Netflix's download feature also has some limitations on which shows you can download. For original shows made by the streaming services themselves, it feels like a missed opportunity to let people do marketing for them. Amazon says you can only share clips from The Wilds, Invincible, Fairfax, and Season 1 of The Boys to start, but it will add more movies and shows later. It's unclear if we'll end up getting this feature for any non-Amazon content on Prime Video in the future, end quote. I keep hearing mixed reports on how well Spotify is doing in their dive into podcasting, but they continue to be full speed ahead, it seems, in trying to be the one app for everything audio. News came down late yesterday that Spotify has acquired audiobook distributor Findaway and says it expects the deal to close in Q4 of this year, quoting TechCrunch. Founded in 2004, Findaway's core focus has been on bringing more audiobooks to listeners worldwide. It today operates a collection of brands and products led by its large audiobook distribution business that connects content creators with reseller partners like Apple, Google, Scribd, Audible, Nook, Rakuten Kobo, Chirp, Storytel, which is already a Spotify partner, Overdrive, Audiobooks.com, and dozens of other global brands. Other brands under the Findaway umbrella include Findaway Voices, which connects authors with professional narrators, Audioworks, which sees the company producing audio for top publishers, Playaway, which brings preloaded audiobook products to libraries and schools, Orange Sky Audio, which works to bring a more diversified audio catalog to listeners, and Audio Engine, which offers tools and technology that allow developers to integrate a broad catalog of audiobooks into their own platforms. Spotify is bringing in Findaway's full team of around 150, it says, and then plans to build on Findaway's existing investments in the audio industry. It also plans to bring expanded access to audiobooks to Spotify's 381 million monthly active users. With this acquisition, the plan is to accelerate into the audiobook space by expanding our platform. Near Zickerman, Spotify's head of audiobooks, said he explained that today, Spotify users tend to go to other platforms to access audiobooks, and it wants to enable that consumption to take place with Spotify's app itself. Initially, that may see Spotify users leveraging the company's new Open Access Platform technology, or OAP, to authenticate with existing credentials, to access audiobooks from Findaway and other audiobook partners like Storytel. More broadly, however, OAP offers the flexibility for publishers to determine how their content is sold that works with their own business models, meaning they may introduce a variety of new ways consumers could unlock and listen to audiobook content on Spotify going forward. The first integrations of OAP are expected to arrive early next year, said Spotify." End quote. I think MoviePass is coming back, baby. Co-founder Stacy Spikes has apparently bought the company back and is planning a relaunch. Quoting Insider, 
MoviePass co-founder Stacy Spikes was granted ownership of the company by a Southern District of New York bankruptcy court judge who approved the sale on Monday, according to court documents reviewed by Insider. The financial transaction took place on Wednesday. Spikes had placed a bid of an undisclosed amount to the trustee handling the bankruptcy of Helios and Matheson Analytics, or HMNY, the former parent company of MoviePass. I can confirm that we acquired MoviePass out of bankruptcy on Wednesday. Spike said in a statement to Insider, We are thrilled to have it back and are exploring the possibility of relaunching soon. Our pursuit to reclaim the brand was encouraged by the continued interest from the moviegoing community. We believe, if done properly, theatrical subscription can play an instrumental role in lifting moviegoing attendance to new heights, end quote. MoviePass was part of a bankruptcy auction of Helios and Matheson assets in June 2020, but there were no competitive bids at the time the auction ended. The minimum bid set by the trustee was $250,000. HMNY listed the estimated value of MoviePass between $1 million and $10 million, according to Variety. Spikes told Insider that since this summer, he'd been working on putting the money together to place a bid to get the company back. He said he made the offer last month, though Spikes would not disclose the amount. He said his bid was lower than the $250,000 minimum the trustee set in 2020. Customer data and email addresses were not part of the sale, Spikes said. Spikes hopes to relaunch MoviePass sometime next year. A new site has been created for the relaunch, IWantMoviePass.com, and its logo will now feature a black background with white lettering ditching the previous red background, end quote. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. 
Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. And first up, two things we've been talking about all the time lately. It was just about a year ago that I started hearing about NFTs in a major way, but the story of that technology of NFTs generally is older than that. Wired takes a look at the story of CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties, the first projects that launched the NFT revolution back in 2017. And how did I not guess that this was part of the origin story? Quote, One day in the spring of 2017, the two men were talking about Watkinson's nieces. The girls had started collecting different kinds of toys with an enthusiasm that reminded them of their own youthful hobbies. Watkinson wondered what it would take for someone to feel as excited about collecting digital trading cards. The main problem, of course, was that because any digital good can exist in limitless identical copies, no single instance of it is special. To be collectible, the two knew an object had to be scarce. The toy company Ty started selling Beanie Babies in 1993, but the collecting craze didn't begin until the maker stopped producing some of its original designs. So how do you make a digital object seem hard to get? Hall, who had been reading about Bitcoin, thought of a blockchain with its time-ordered record of transactions as maybe useful. People put a certain price on Bitcoins because everyone agrees on how many of them exist. That's digital rarity, he figured, end quote. And then the metaverse, of course. If you want a 30,000-mile view of why big money folks really, really want the metaverse to succeed, read this piece from Noah Smith that I mentioned on this weekend's bonus episode. Basically, this is capitalism's wet dream. If the most valuable parts of life can take place in the digital realm, then you'd have the prospect of near-infinite economic growth. Quote, Think of the classic movie American Graffiti. George Lucas depicts his memories of a 1950s world where young people have fun, hook up, and get social status by driving around in cars all day and night. This is hugely resource-intensive. Nowadays, kids can have fun with their friends by chatting, sharing stories, and playing video games online. They can use Tinder to hook up instead of cruising around. And they can get social status by accumulating Facebook likes, TikTok views, and Twitter follows. Thus, Young people have been ditching cars for smartphones. That means less gasoline burned, less steel and aluminum used, and so on. But more fun ultimately to be had. And as long as capitalists find ways to make people pay for that fun, it means more GDP too. Dematerialization, not offshoring, is what has allowed U.S. GDP to continue to increase at a more or less steady clip even as we've reduced our usage of energy, fresh water, copper, aluminum, and other metals, as well as our carbon emissions. The metaverse is just that process taken one step further. The more fun or useful stuff you can do in VR, games, business meetings, vacations, hangouts, the less you'll have to suck up physical resources to do it in meat space. The more you can transform your subjective world by overlaying it with AR, the less you'll have to suck up resources transforming your physical environment to suit your tastes. Thus, the metaverse can help continue the decoupling of physical resource use from economic growth. The logical endpoint of all this, of course, is personality upload completely digital environments with no need for any physical resource use except what's needed to sustain the stimulation, end quote. Actually, the whole infinite growth and decoupling of economics from scarce resources 
is called near infinite in this essay because at some point on a long enough time horizon, you would have to move all of your computing power out to the outer reaches of the galaxy because all of your computational needs generate so much heat. You need to go somewhere in the cooler, darker regions of space to keep everything running coolly. That's one of the more esoteric solutions to Fermi's paradox, by the way. We don't see aliens because they're so advanced that they've gone completely virtual, and also they've long since decamped to the darker corner of the universe to keep their computers cool. Next, from the New York Times, if you thought the global chip shortage would benefit all chip makers, you'd be wrong. The biggest chip companies are capacity constrained, right? They'd love to produce and earn more, but they can't. They can't produce more right now. So thus far, the real beneficiaries of this supply shortage are smaller chip firms, those that produce chips in less demand and thus have the ability to pick up the slack, and that is reordering the entire industry. Quote, Since 1989, microchip technology has operated in an unglamorous backwater of the electronics industry, making chips called microcontrollers that add computing power to cars, industrial equipment, and many other products. Now a global chip shortage has elevated the company's profile. Demand for microchips products is running more than 50% higher than it can supply. That has put the company based in Chandler, Arizona, in an unfamiliar position of power, which it began wielding this year. While microchip normally lets customers cancel a chip order within 90 days of delivery, it began offering shipment priority to clients that signed contracts for 12 months of orders that couldn't be revoked or rescheduled. These commitments reduced the chances that orders would evaporate when the scarcity ended, giving Microchip more confidence to safely hire workers and buy costly equipment to increase production. It gives us the ability to not hold back said Ganesh Morthy, president and chief executive of Microchip, which on Thursday reported that profit in the latest quarter tripled and that sales rose 26% to $1.65 billion, end quote. And finally, it's not tech, but from the great Grant Wall, the craziest sports story of the year, arguably. Tiny FC Sheriff of Moldova, which, well, let me quote. FC Sheriff had done the unthinkable, beating the 13-time European champions Real Madrid, 2-1 in a UEFA Champions League group stage match at Madrid's Santiago Bernabeu Stadium on September 28th. Run by a former KGB agent turned oligarch, Victor Gushan, who named it after the heroes of the movie westerns he favors, Sheriff is more than a soccer team. It's a business entity that owns everything that matters in Transnistria. The grocery stores, the gas stations, a casino, a TV channel, a telephone company, a winery, a reportedly vast smuggling network, and Transnistria's most opulent structure, a $200 million soccer stadium and 14-field training facility complex. Sheriff is just an organized crime group. That's it, says someone I spoke to who has spent significant time in Transnistria and studied the area. And they own the soccer team for some reason. And now these guys are doing well in Western Europe, and nobody there has any clue that these guys are owned by monsters, end quote. So Sheriff is just a giant money laundering front? Is that it? Quote, oh yeah, everybody knows this, Malamud says. The number one business in Transnistria, which finances most of their budget, is gun trafficking. A lot of illegal guns get trafficked between Europe and Asia through Transnistria because with a large enough bribe, you can accomplish pretty much anything. So this is how they get their money. And this is how the sheriff supermarket chain exists. And this is how the stadium was built because there's not enough money in all of Transnistria, except in Swiss bank accounts, to finance a four-star UEFA stadium. 
That's like the one claim to fame they've got. You should expect to see a very nicely preserved slice of the Soviet Union, Malmud tells me, and they're very proud of it, too. Everything is in different shades of gray. You've got lots of Lenin statues and random statues of tanks and red banners with the hammer and sickle everywhere. And the stadium is the one splash of color anywhere around. This beautiful blue, yellow, and black arena in the middle of nothing. Just pastures everywhere. It's an extremely surreal sight, end quote. Big bonus episode coming at you tomorrow. As I said earlier this week, we dig deeper into Apple's new $2.99 small business tech support product. That's in the very first part of the show, the first 15 minutes or so. And then we go deep onto the metaverse from a completely different angle that we haven't discussed before. Let's just say as a film school graduate, this was an interesting jump into the actual technology ways the metaverse might be built. Enjoy that, and talk to you on Monday.